Blog Talk Radio. And now we are live with everybody. Because I had to. Because why not? <laughs> oh. Because it's actually Derby Week. It is Derby Week. So, uh, so Derby has on. It won't yep. stay on the entire time, but it's on right now. Yep. Don't ask, us, don't ask us anything about the Derby. Um, I have no idea who's racing. I would love to go to the Derby someday. Um, obviously not this year. <laughs> yeah. Just an excuse for her to wear her her, der- her Derby hat and for us to drink mint juleps. So, cheers, everybody. Cheers. Let's get started. Yes. Let's mm-hmm. get a chunk of mint. Mint. <sighs> but, yeah, so good evening, everybody. So, now... Uh, we're going to be talking about yeah Kentucky tonight. Mm-hmm. The, the the Commonwealth of Kentucky, our neighbors just off to the west. Uh, they were well, they technically didn't they were part of Virginia at yeah. one point. Yeah, they didn't exist on their own back in the colonial era. Uh, they only came into being a state of their own in 1792. So uh, they broke off uh, amicably yes. from from Virginia at that point in time, became their own state out there off the western tip of Virginia. Now, uh, uh, Kentucky today is pretty well known for a lot of things. You know, bluegrass state. It's, um, of course, they got their college basketball. They got um, horse or bourbon. They got their bourbon. They got their horse racing. And uh, they have their state slogan, which is Kentucky Unbridled Spirit, which it's not exactly, I'm sure we're not going to be talking about it in the sense that they intended it, but hey, I think it uh, fits in quite nicely for uh, sharing some haunted tales about Kentucky tonight. So Patrick was wondering, uh, does any Derby location have a haunted ghost horse? It's quite possible, um, especially in the early days of, the, of any of the horse racing when it was much more fatal. Um, there are a lot of places where the horses died, the um, jockeys died, most of the racing courses had a hospital built on them in the location because so many accidents happened, so it's possible. Yeah, but we didn't. We did not, for the purposes of tonight, did not stumble across any haunted horses. Yes. Specifically. So I have to, I'll have to do some searching for you, Patrick, to see if I can find some ghost horses. Yeah. Sounds like an episode in the making. Possibly. <laughs> I mean, there was a, well, we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Get a little ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, now, if you're looking for a place to get your fill of ghosts, Kentucky will not disappoint. They do have their fair share of ghost stories out there. And the residents of Kentucky, they do not shy away from their haunted heritage, as there are many privately owned haunted places that offer ghost tours and paranormal experiences. And uh, there's also, um, that's uh, not to say that you actually have to pay to have a paranormal experience in Kentucky either, as there's plenty of cemeteries and battlefields, the kind of traditional haunted locales, mm-hmm. if you will, that you can go and explore respectfully, of course, at your own leisure. Uh, so we have a, uh, a good list of uh, haunted locations. Good variety. Good today. variety. Uh, but uh, two of, uh, our first two are going to be centered in a location that you may or may not have heard of. I, I hadn't heard of it before we started um, getting into this one tonight. I've heard of it, but we haven't. I haven't visited it. I actually had visited Kentucky when I was younger. Um, did Mammoth Cave, did um, Fort Knox, did, of course, the Maker's Mark Bourbon Distillery. Mm-hmm. 
gotta love going to a bourbon distillery when yeah. they're 12 years old. It's awesome, <laughs> by the way. Um, but Chris hasn't been there, and I'd actually like to get back down, and I definitely want to get to Louisville and some of these other places that uh, I discovered through the research tonight. So our first stop, this place that I had not heard of before, is a town of Bardsville, and it's a, uh, excuse me, Bardstown. <laughs> it's in central Kentucky, just off the Bluegrass Parkway, and uh, it dates back to 1785, so actually back to the time before Kentucky was a state of its own. And this is when the Baird brothers obtained a land grant from Governor Patrick Henry, yes, our Patrick Henry from here in Virginia, because it was still part of Virginia back at that point in time. Um, but anyways, they got the land grant to go ahead and uh, uh, develop their own little community there. And as it grew, it came, naturally came to need all of the services that any town ultimately requires, and that includes, well, regrettably, a, a jail. You know, any, any town. One of the first buildings that's usually built. Yes, a town of any size is usually going to come to need a jail at some point in time. So just off of Court Square in the center of town, a piece of property was designated to be the home of the jail in 1797. The building that currently resides at the site was built in 1819 and was later expanded in 1874. It continued to serve as a site of involuntary incarceration until 1987 when the building was repurposed into the Jailer's Inn a bed and breakfast. And now you pay to stay there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. The building is now a home to uh, home to a place that people willingly pay to stay at. Quite the uh, turn of fortunes for the structure. Now, helping in the inn's reputation might be the fact that some have called it one of the most haunted places in the United States. For over 200 years, the building housed some of the community's most notorious criminals. While criminals of all stripes found themselves there over the years, those with a history of violence seemed to wind up there on an all-too-regular basis. Throughout the history of the structure, strange and unusual events have occurred in this place where prisoners not only served their time, but often fought for their own survival, sometimes not making it out alive. It's this tumultuous history that is believed to be the fuel for the hauntings that permeate every corner of the bed and breakfast to this um, to. Um, to this day. Yeah. Uh, getting here all I haven't had that much to drink yet. <laughs> uh, now, one of the most well-known hauntings uh, is said to occur consists of a female apparition that is believed to be one of the original jailers of the jail. Her name was Miss McKay. Her husband originally started as the jailer of the facility, but when he passed away, she put herself as a candidate for his replacement. Seeing that the members of the community knew her so well and respected her professional abilities to run the jail, she won the position with ease. In today's, um, <clears throat> in today's Jailer's Inn, there have been many reports by employees and visitors alike of seeing the spirit of Miss McKay. And while she is considered to be a friendly-natured spirit, many have been frightened as they awake to her staring down upon them in their beds. The current owner says that he has never witnessed anything paranormal himself. Though he does admit the jailer then has a unique presence and says his pets sometimes have uh, picked up on it as well. He's lost at least one employee due to a paranormal encounter. One of the staff members was cleaning a room in the older part of the jail when she looked up to see a man glaring at her in the mirror. Startled, she turned around to find herself alone in the room, but when she faced the mirror again, the man was still there. It was enough to convince her that a job at the jailer's inn was not for her. Another personal experience came from a pair of traveling companions who booked themselves the jail cell room for the night. 
seeing as they were only guests, oh, excuse me, the only guests on the cell block that night, they left the heavy steel door to their room open. One of them had a preference for low light, so they only turned on the small light over the sink. It illuminated the room just enough for them to comfortably find their way around, but it also made that single light a focal point for what was about to come. It is a curious phenomenon that when there is a single light source, even a dim light like the one over the sink, it becomes quite noticeable when it goes out or is otherwise obscured. One of the companions for just an instant noticed a flicker in the light. It was just out of the corner of his eye, so he turned to look more directly at what had happened. It seemed to be that someone had walked past the door, and he wasn't alone in noticing it as his companion had clearly seen the disturbance as well. A moment later, they heard the clunking of a cell door closing further back in the building, a chilling sound considering that they thought themselves to be alone there. With some hesitance, they walked back to see if maybe it was just one of the staff members attending to some business. Upon research, uh, re reaching the back of the building, they found nothing. There had been no footsteps, no lights, not another living soul in the building with the companions that night. Most of the unusual experiences in the Jailer's Inn in Bardstown followed this pattern, unexplained footsteps and voices, things turning up missing only to reappear someplace else, electronics turning on and off on their own and otherwise acting erratically. If you're looking to catch some of these classic pieces of paranormal evidence, this place delivers quite often. The Jailer's Inn property extends past the building itself. The next area is referred to as the courtyard, and it is here that many men lost their lives as their capital sentences were carried out at the end of a hangman's noose. There is one story from a guest that tells of him having a conversation with what appeared to be a regular man in the courtyard. They actually had a decent conversation, but when the guest turned his head away for just a brief moment, he turned back to find that his conversational companion had vanished. Over the years, many have felt the weight of hidden eyes on them as they linger in the courtyard at the jailer's inn. Some have even gone so far as to say that they feel the presence of an unseen companion by their side. The list of tales from this haunted bed and breakfast goes on and on. However, in today's world, the owner and other employees have come to accept the spirits. In turn, it seems as if the spirits have also accepted them. To this day, visitors still experience unexplained phenomena and strange events that seem to be rooted in the paranormal. If you are seeking out an interesting and haunted place to spend the night, the Jailer's End in Bardstown should be near at the top of your list. You know, off the play fetch. The <laughs> <laughs> springs at your feet, just so you know. Oh, did you bring a spring up? Yes. Okay. I don't know if y'all heard it, but she was singing the song of her people saying, come play with me, <laughs> while Chris was talking. I heard her. <laughs> and thank you. I think that's Patrick who posted their website. Uh, yeah, so it's really a fascinating uh, location and definitely, I think, a place a lot of our paranormal groups um, that we're friends with would love to go, and especially since you can spend the night in the jail cell. Any other questions? We're good. We're good. All right, so right across from the jail cell, uh, if you don't want to stay there, you can stay at the old uh, Talbert Tavern. Uh, this is, of course, right across from the Jailer's Inn, and it might be the oldest tavern in Kentucky. It was built in 1779, and the purpose of this tavern has stayed exactly the same for 240 years. Uh, it still operates as a bed and breakfast today, and it's probably the oldest hotel in Kentucky. 
Having been built in 1779, the tavern even predates the founding of the city itself back in the 1700s. It was actually well known as a coach shop uh, and had seen many travelers arrive on foot or on horseback looking for a place to stay and to eat. Many famous and infamous people are said to have visited Talbot's Tavern over the years. This include Daniel Boone, who spent some time at the tavern, an exiled future king of France, Louis Philippe, spent a night there on October 17th of 1797 with a member of his entourage painting murals on the tavern walls. Other visitors have included Andrew Jackson, William Henry Harrison, Abraham Lincoln, John James Audubon, Queen Marie of Romania, and General George Patton, just to name a few. It remains the popular dining destination for visitors of Bardstown and, of course, the locals as well. Given the welcome nature of the tavern and its long history, it's not surprising that the uh, hotel and the restaurant are filled with ghost stories, and they are told by those who work or visit there. One of the hotel bookkeepers had an experience that is seared into her memory. As she was closing up late one night, she started up the stairs, as she always did, to take the cash to the safe. However, as she approached the top of the stairs, she was startled to see a man in a long coat walk across the top landing. About the same time, the cook had come out of the kitchen and also saw the stranger. The bookkeeper and the cook thought that they were the only ones in the building at the time, and so their curiosity was piqued. They proceeded up to the top of the stairs and followed the man with a long coat through several rooms and eventually saw him go out a fire escape door. When they opened the door to see if the man had gone down the fire escape, they were terrified to find that he was still standing on the landing. And it was not just standing. He stared at the pair of them. He let loose a hideous laugh and then it disappeared right in front of their eyes. That's got to be terrifying. You burst through the door expecting to see somebody halfway down the fire escape and no, they're waiting right there for you. Laughing. Laughing hideously. Yeah. And then poof. Gone. So deeply shaken, the bookkeeper and the cook quickly finished their closing duties together before departing for the night. About three weeks later, the bookkeeper was at home watching a show about outlaws when the picture of Jesse James appeared on the screen. She was quite shocked to recognize the man that she had encountered face-to-face on the fire escape just a week ago, or a couple weeks ago, excuse me. Bye, well, since then, they have started calling the specter Jesse James. Need more bourbon. Bourbon. Need more bourbon. Bourbon. Okay. Uh, they are not the only ones who have crossed paths with him. Two other employees have claimed to have seen Jesse walking in the halls at different times, which leads many to ask, why on earth is Jesse James here? Well, actually, he's staying here. Got good reason. Yeah. He actually came to Bardstown to visit his family and, in specific, his cousin, Donnie Pence, who was the sheriff at the time. Local lore states that Jesse stayed at the tavern while in town and even had his own brush with the paranormal during his stay. James was startled to find himself face-to-face with an apparition, and in response, he opened fire on the figure. You can still see the bullet holes in one of the murals that Louise Entourage left. That incident went down as the first recorded occurrence of the paranormal at the tavern. Unfortunately, the bullet holes are not the only damage to the walls. The mural actually sustained damage during a fire in March of 1998. Uh, it severely damaged the second floor and the roof. The mural was scorched, and it was never fully restored. 
but you can still see the bullet holes in the wall today. Just something to look for. Courtesy of Mr. Jesse James. Yeah. Now, Jesse isn't the only spirit in the tavern. Several people have seen a figure dubbed the Lady in White. Despite the fact that the Lady in White seems to be a relatively harmless spirit, it doesn't make a, an unexpected encounter with her any less startling. On one occasion, a couple left the middle of the night because of the terrifying experience with the lady. They later called the tavern to tell them why they left. They both woke up at the same time to see the lady in white hovering over them. She was looking down at them in bed before she turned away and floated out the window, and that was enough for them. The lady in white doesn't appear only at night. On several occasions during the day, the staff has been getting the dining room ready for the dinner hour. They have seen the lady walk through the Audubon dining room, and as the dining room would not still be open for business at this time, they would actually go after her to let her know that they're not ready to seek guests yet. But once they catch up to where the lady should have been, they will find absolutely nobody there. The lady has always got the same appearance. She's petite with long brown wavy hair wearing a long white dress in a fashion from the 1800s. They're not sure who she is, but she has appeared often enough to make her part of the tavern's culture. There are many more tales of various paranormal activity at the tavern. There's stories of objects moving on their own, such as forks and glasses on the dining table, keys disappearing from the front desk and showing up down the hall on the floor later that day. There are also uh, furniture has been known to start jumping up and down without any reason. Some have seen shadows walk out of these corners of the, uh, and into the light before disappearing. Unexplained footsteps echoing through the structure when no one else is there. And piano music starts playing from absolutely nowhere. Doors opening and closing on their own. Phantom knocking the, the doors of guests' rooms. Disembodied voices call out to empty areas. And bright orbs of flashing light about the guest rooms in the middle of the night. There seems to be plenty of opportunity for somebody to have a spooky encounter in the old Pal Earth Tavern. Spooky cultured encounter, yeah. as you tripped over your words there, just like I was doing. Drink. Drink. <clears throat> Excuse me. <sighs> so, yeah, you both places are right next door to each other. Yeah, that, so. I definitely would be up for a trip. Nice, nice, little, uh, nice little haunted sojourn off to Bardstown, Kentucky. Yeah, because who wouldn't want to go to a place where Jesse James haunts That's and awesome. shot up? Yeah. <laughs> Looks sounds pretty awesome to me. I'm all for it. Road trip. Road trip for that one, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's driving distance. A little bit yeah, of a haul. There's a lot to explore in Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. Road trip. Hmm. All right. Ah, yeah. um, my next favorite thing that's near and dear to my heart, a haunted theater. Yes. So we're moving east now uh, to the point where Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia meet along the banks of, of the Ohio River. And this is where we find Ashland, Kentucky. In Ashland, you can find the Paramount, one of the first theaters built for talking pictures, specifically films produced by Paramount Studios. The idea was for this theater to be a model for others that would eventually be built across the country. However, the onset of the Great Depression soon changed the course of events for this wonderful building. Paramount almost scrapped the project altogether, but the plans were picked up by an Ashland-based company that paid to have the interior finished as it was. The building never reached the scale that was originally intended. Had the Great Depression never occurred, the Paramount would have been three times the size of the structure that we have today. That said, the resulting product was a prime example of the Art Deco architectural style that was favored in that era. 
The artistic design of the theater was the choice of master uh, theater designers, Rap and Rap, who also designed the Great Chicago Theater. The Ashland Paramount provided seating for 1,309 people and served the Ohio Valley area for several years and is, as its one and only moving, uh, talking movie theater. Talking movie theater. Yeah. Patrick says drink. Every time we trip out of our words. Oh, God. We won't I don't finish. have enough alcohol up here, Patrick. And we won't finish the show if we get gone. <laughs> uh, the Paramount Theater has weathered some highs and lows, but today has been preserved and restored with many of its original fixtures and furnishings. As you walk through the brass entrance doors today, it would be as much the same as if you were there during its grand opening on that September night in 1931. Renamed the Paramount Arts Center in 1972, the historic theater now operates as a nonprofit organization that provides quality art and art um, cultural experiences for children and families from central Appalachia and all across the United States. The Paramount Arts Center has collected not only reels of film, but also its fair share of paranormal activity through the years. It is said that during early renovation work on the Paramount Theater, a death occurred there and the man's ghost has since haunted the Paramount. According to the story, in the early 1940s, four construction workers from Boyd Theater Company in Cincinnati, Ohio, were working on a project inside the auditorium. It is reported that all of them had gone out to lunch except for one man named Joe. When the other three returned, they are said to have found Joe hanging from the curtain rigging dead. Allegedly, since that time, the images of a man have been seen to appear on occasion, accompanied by unexplained sounds, cold drafts, and objects going missing. Despite the chilling encounters, most refer to Joe as a good ghost, one who seems to look out for the benefit of the theater and its occupants. When Billy Ray Cyrus was at the Paramount filming his video for Icky Breaky Heart, yes, that's where it took place, he was told about the legend of Paramount Joe. It is customary to get 8x10 photographs signed by each performer that appears at the Paramount and then hang the photo on the wall of fame in the box office. Billy Ray autographed large colored posters to each of the female employees working here at the time and one with a personal inscription to Paramount Joe, whom he now had a fondness for. Each woman put her poster near her desk, and Joe's was hung in the box office near, um, near the others for the other performers. As time passed and the walls in the box office became too full of 8x10s signed by other performers, the executive director felt that some of the pictures and posters needed to come down. Nobody wanted to take their personally autographed picture of Billy Ray down, so they took down the one that he had, he had signed to Paramount Joe. No, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. The next day, the story has it that every 8x10 and poster that had been hanging neatly on the walls the night before were now lined strewn across the floor, many of their glass frames shattered. Paramount Joe's poster still hangs in the Paramount. Now, in part of the marquee room, which is now the site of Paramount Joe's Rising Star Cafe. Yeah, appropriate. They named a, named a cafe after the guy. So, yeah. Like, all right, you get it. You're angry. We won't just here hang. you go. Yeah, here you go. Now, while Billy Ray Cyrus filmed his Acre Breaking Heart video here, he would talk to Joe in between tapings and claims he really felt his presence. Years later, Billy Ray connected with Joe on stage during a performance. All of a sudden, the sound went completely out for about five seconds, and he just stopped and laughed and said, "Good to see you too, Joe." 
In 2004, marketing director Tyson Compton was giving a tour of the theater to some high school students. As he was relating the Paramount Joe story, he realized that he was always talking about Joe and not to him. So as he spoke to the students, he stopped and called out, Joe, are you here? Is it okay that I tell your story? He swears that he then heard a distinct squeak from one of the theater seats, uh, but that was not where the story ends. Compton relates how he received a call the next day from a psychic who lived in the area. She asked him if someone in his family or a close friend had recently died because she got a message from the other side, and she said that she was supposed to tell Tyson, I'm supposed to tell you that Joe said he is here. Having made contact with Paramount Joe, Tyson did not want to let the communication stop there. Tyson enlisted a medium to come conduct an interview of sorts with Joe. The medium reported that Joe told her that in his life he had not, his life had just had not been amongst the best. When he came to the Paramount, he thought that the theater was so beautiful that he never wanted to leave. It seems that Joe got what he wanted. There is another story about the time two new employees wanted to investigate the basement in the Paramount and some old items that had been stored there. To reach the basement, you must go through a door that is located just inside the lounge outside the ladies' room. This brings you to the top of the stairs. At the top of the stairs is a light switch which will light the first section of the stairwell. As you progress, there is a switch that will light each area in front of you, and there is no partner switch, so in other words, you must turn off the light at the same place you turned it on. The marketing director had offered to take the two new employees to the basement and turned on the lights at the top of the stairs. The ladies hurried down the steps, and at that moment, the marketing director was called to the phone by someone inside the office. He told the other two employees to hold on. He will be right back. In their excitement, however, they did not hear him, and they continued on. Recounting the story later, it was at this point they called up to him to turn on the next light for them. As it turned out, he was on the phone longer than expected and met the ladies as they were coming back up the stairs. Thanks for turning on the light for us, one of them said, but we can't get it to turn off. Puzzled, he explained that he had not been there to turn the light on for them. The expression on their faces revealed that they were not kidding with him. They led him back into the basement only to be met by darkness. Someone had turned the lights off again as well. Well, thanks, Joe, called out one of the ladies as she shivered. Charming story. Charming Mr. Paramount Joe. Yes. I like him. I like Joe. Yeah. I'd love to go see the theater there and take a tour. Didn't see any other questions about that. Become very entertaining. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very entertaining is one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump over to Maysville, Kentucky. And this is west uh, from Ashland along the Ohio River. Uh, the town of Maysville has some beautiful and unique architecture, including a two-and-a-half-story painted brick house called Phillips Folly. The architecture displays blends of styles, which may be explained in a way that it is considered a folly, but also because it took six years to construct. Um, Philip ran out of money midway. I, I looked up a picture of this place. It is very unique, yeah. but it's definitely not big enough to justify a six-year construction period, except for the lack of money. Yeah. So the Southern Street entrances are 
federal style. The windows are typically Greek Revival in their size, and the two-tiered portico and the segmental dormers reflect a Georgian influence. It kind of looked like he took a whole bunch of things together, shook them up, and helped off the house. That's a very apt description of the place. It is it's a nice-looking structure, but touch bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't quite have anything on the, the uh, Winchester Mystery House, but still, the, yeah. 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 Uh, so William B. Hayes, uh, or excuse me, <clears throat> Hayes, William B. Hayes, try again, William B. Phillips, uh, was Mayville's May, May, mayor. I can't talk fast enough. <laughs> And he was one of those who were among the welcoming committee for General Lafayette during his 1825 Maysville visit. Phillips' Third Street residence earned the term folly because, as we said, he started it in 1825, ran out of funds, causing the construction to stop. Then he left the house unfinished, disappeared for two years, during which he won enough money gambling to complete the structure. He eventually sold the folly and changed hands a couple of times before becoming the residence of Dr. John A. Reed. Uh, his family also moved in at this time, and this is during the late 19th century. Now, Dr. Reed maintained a medical practice in the basement, and there were rumors that said Reed may have done some medical experiments on dogs and people in the basement, as well as autopsies. Some of his patients may have never left, which may explain some of the odd things that happened in the basement. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Interesting side note about Reed. Dr. Reed was the father of the U.S. Supreme Court Justice Stanley Foreman Reed, who was the last member of the Supreme Court to never graduate from law school. So there's your Jeopardy fun fact for the night. <laughs> have to use those where I have them. Now, according to oral history, the house was a stop on the Underground Railroad, and the runaway slaves were held in a wooden cell on the lower level until it was safe for them to continue their journey to the Ohio River <clears throat> on their way to freedom. It's believed that they were kept in a cell in case slave hunters came to the house, and if they happened to catch them having the slaves in the house, they could say that they were holding the slaves and avoid being charged with trying to free slaves. There is also a tunnel that leads out of the house, the lower level, so that they could escape and get down to the river. If the history is true, this cramped space in the basement would have certainly been an area charged with a lot of emotional energy that may contribute to the hauntings that this building experiences. Despite the possibility of being a stop on the Underground Railroad, it's believed that the home was also uh, a slave-owning home in the early years and that the slaves may still inhabit the house even after their time on mortar coil has passed away. One of the more frequently seen spirits is an older black man uh, dressed in a black suit who is often polishing the woodwork inside the house, so maybe a butler. The very large man uh, in a tall top hat is seen in the house on the second floor of, or the second story portico for 100 years. He's often accompanied by a dog, and many believe that this is actually the second owner of the house, John Armstrong, and he purchased the home in 1838. The dog is a very large white dog with long white hair, and it resembles John's Newfoundland. They seem content to just watch the goings-on in Maysville from the portico, so they are people watching. John Pierce, another old-time resident, has also been reported haunting the halls of the Follies. Some say he committed suicide in the black 
back parlor, but others say he died fighting a duel on the site. Locals have reported that the eerie sounds of a phantom duel can be heard emanating from the back part of the house. People often tell of a beautiful woman in a red dress walking around on the porches of the house. She also is said to have long black hair and a dark brown complexion. Nobody knows who she is, but she's been reported by various people for over 100 years. It's hard to say exactly what has drawn so many different spirits back to the folly, but it's a bizarre architecture. Maybe there's a thin veil between this world and the next there. Uh, and regardless of the cause, there have been many people that have passed through this property, and those spirits may just have decided to linger on. Now, when you think of caves in Kentucky, everybody immediately thinks Mammoth Cave, because that is the most uh, famous and well-known one. Now, we've talked about Mammoth Cave already, mm -hmm. uh, but I found <clears> another cave system that you can go and tour, and it's also haunted. So this is, uh, next stop is in the wild woodlands of Kentucky. It's called Carter Caves State Park, and it's located in Carter County, Kentucky, aptly enough. The park features an 18-hole mini golf course, a nine-hole full golf course, horse riding stables, a lodge, rental cottages, and a campground. In the late spring and summer, it is a beautifully stunning location. The Carter Cave State Park is as beautiful below ground as it is above, and the park offers various cave tours in the summer months. Amongst the caves that can be found here is the X Cave. Despite its somewhat foreboding name, the source of this title simply comes from the natural X shape that the cave's passages make inside. Legend says that the X Cave is haunted by two ghosts, which in life were part of the native Cherokee tribe. There was the brave hurricane, and the maiden, Manuita, who happened to be the daughter of the Cherokee chief. The story goes that Hurricane found a rich vein of silver in the X cave, but he kept it to himself because he wanted to use the silver to make gifts for Manuita, who he, who said, who he was said to be deeply in love with. One day, Hurricane left with a group of other braves, and when they did not return to the village, the tribe prepared to move because they feared the party of braves had been killed by another tribe. Manuita feared that her beloved Hurricane had been killed and he would never return to her. She left, left off a cliff to her death. The very next morning, Hurricane returned to the village with several silver objects he had made. The chief blamed Hurricane for his daughter's death but Hurricane was able to escape with the body of Manuita and the bag of silver objects to the X cave. Many years later, the skeletons of a man and woman were found deep in the X cave with the deer skin bag of silver objects by their side. It has been, always been believed that those were the skeletons of Hurricane and Manuita. Uh, they were buried in the cave and no one knows what happened to the deer skin bag of silver objects. In modern times, people who go to the cave say they feel something or someone watching them inside the cave. Other people tell of seeing a man with dark hair and deer skin clothing walking in the cave. Other people have told of seeing a beautiful girl walking about the area. Some people say that they see the couple walking and holding hands. Other people say that they hear beautiful native flute music coming from deep inside the cave. And some people uh, visitors have heard unexplained knocks coming from the deepest recesses. There have also been reports of a wood fire smell from deep inside and the 
shadows of people being cast against the walls. While the story of their lives may be tragic, at least the loving couple seems to have found some solace with each other in death. I love a good cave story. Yes. Because I like caves. Am I going now? Yes. Okay. So now we're going to finally get to Louisville. Yep. So we... I have to take it off. I'm sorry. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we go from the wild, wild, uh, wild woodlands to uh, the, uh, the center of um, um, civilization, if you will. So. <laughs> During the late 1800s and early 1900s, the old Louisville neighborhood was the premier community in Kentucky. The area featured beautiful French, Revival, and Georgian architectural designs with many castle-like tourists and stained glass windows. Some residents loved it so much they chose to hang around, even in death. And death has visited this neighborhood often over the years, including a tuberculosis epidemic that wiped out much of the population, and many unexplained tragedies, including fires, mysterious deaths, and suicides. A high concentration of spirits is said to roam the neighborhood today, including an old woman who turns into a black cat, a man with a cloak and hat who lingers near the intersection of Sixth and Hill, and a dark-haired woman in a Victorian dress. Police have answered numerous calls for break-ins where residents watched individuals in Victorian-era clothing enter their homes. Of course, burglary charges are never filed as the police never find any trespassers. So definitely need to do a ghost tour in Louisville. <laughs> that was just scratching the surface. Yeah. And those were the ones that people see kind of out and about yeah, in the neighborhood. Yeah, when you're just wandering the town. All right, so now we're going to focus on uh, the most famous hotel in uh, Louisville, which is the Steelbox Hilton. Amongst the ha most haunted buildings in this beautiful but eerie neighborhood is the Steelbox Hilton, which is considered to be the premier hotel in all of Kentucky. While it has deservedly earned a spot on the National Register of Historic Places, we are interested in this hotel for its reputation as being one of the most haunted ones in Kentucky. It was opened in 1905 by immigrants Otto and Louis Spielbach, who dreamed of creating a grand European hotel in the United States. With French re Renaissance design, the hotel quickly became one of the finest in America. The hotel changed hands numerous times before it became part of the Hilton Hotels and Resorts. The hotel's most well-known spirit, in this case, is the Lady in Blue. You'll likely hear many different versions of the story and how she came to be at the hotel, but all of them agree that she is the spirit of Miss Patricia Wilson. In 1936, Miss Wilson moved to Louisville from her native Oklahoma and had recently separated from her husband. Now, the pair wanted to try to patch things up, and so they actually arranged to meet at the seal box. Unfortunately, her husband never made it, as he was killed in a car crash on his way there. Ms. Wilson was understandably devastated, and not long afterwards, her body was discovered in the bottom of an elevator shaft in the hotel. Opinion remained split on whether this was suicide or simply a very tragic accident. But since then, her apparition has been spotted up on the eighth floor and also on the mezzanine level. Everyone who sees her agrees she's dressed in blue and has long, dark hair. Now, aside from poor Ms. Wilson, their hotel is also home to various other ghosts. 
A staff member of the auto cafe reported seeing an old woman in ragged clothes standing underneath, uh, sorry, standing behind a mirror, and the employee turned to talk to the woman that she had already disappeared. In 2004, a couple who was on their honeymoon booked a room on the eighth floor of the hotel. They awoke to find a man standing by the window looking out. The room was also strangely very cold, and immediately after they turned on the light, the man disappeared. Other reports of the paranormal activity include disembodied voices, unexplained footsteps, cold spots, the scent of lingering perfume. Guests and employees often find televisions turning on and blaring out at 4 a.m. Footsteps can be heard running across the wooden floors when no one is there, and a long list of experiences has made this place another one where people can come, rest their heads, and maybe meet one of the spirits of long ago. You're getting lost, you know. <laughs> and she's done. <laughs> she does not want to be on show tonight. Oh. She's been a bit spicy and rocky today. Uh, she's getting into the teenage years. Oh, yes. She's, she's coming up on one year old. About 11 months now, yeah, we figure, months. roughly. She's about 11 months. About 11 months. Ah, yes, so common innocent. She was quite the handful this morning. <laughs> uh, yes, everybody loves you, you know. Hi. Oh, I might have to go catch her sissy I'll before the show's over. Before the show's over. Uh, well, well, sound asleep. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Uh, so I had to show off my new my new decorations since this is known as the race for the roses. So I have monster roses now. Race for the roses. I saved just enough mint julep to cheers because we are on to Churchill Downs and uh, well, not specifically the Kentucky Derby, but the home of the Kentucky Derby, which is Saturday, by the way. Yep, coming up, which is why we did this episode today. That explains why she needed a cat nap, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If you were, they were quite the uh, pair of little terrors this morning, climbing all over things that they weren't supposed to. And Uh, chewing on things they weren't supposed to. And chewing on things and all that good stuff, and then they slept all day. Until I came home and it all started again. All right, Hmm. ready? You libated? I think so. Okay. All right. Now, this, of course, is perhaps the most famous spot in all Kentucky, which, you know, Churchill Downs. When the queen has been there, you know you've made it. Yeah. P- people think about Kentucky horse racing, hence the, uh, that was why we had the little horse racing thing as the banner for our event. Now, it's, it's been around for a while. Um, the, the Kentucky Derby goes back 146 years now. Um, and it's got a lot of stories to go with those 146 years. And they're not only ghost stories. There's some scandal no. stories we threw in just because yeah. they're fun. Yeah. So, yeah, this, this isn't all necessarily uh, spooky, but it's uh, kind of a little mysterious and sometimes a little... Uh, Was there a person there or two? Yeah, maybe. So, <clears throat> now, this uh, many of these stories came from an interview with Ronnie uh, Dressdolt. I think I got that right. Uh, he is the manager of education services at the services at the Kentucky Derby Museum, and uh, you know, talking to him can be flipping like flipping through a racing book of horrors. Um, he, uh, of course, he focuses not on just keeping tabs on who won the Kentucky Derby and stuff like that. He um, he's one of those ones that likes to take 
the history and then dive in and find the minute details, some of which uh, the darker stuff kind of appeals to individuals like us. So uh, he is the in-house expert on racing-related murders, lingering spectators, and gruesome injuries that the bloodied and historic Churchill Downs track back in the days where jockeys didn't wear helmets uh, now, it's not all about crushed skulls and broken bones, though there are plenty of tales of terrible people doing terrible things. Plenty of fuel for the paranormal to take hold on these cherished racing grounds. Now, his office is a modern, unimpressive space in the basement that would only spark a chill if you turned out the lights. But that room, along with the whole Kentucky Derby Museum, is built on the grounds where the racetrack hospital once stood. Based on the facts that he shares about how many people have died on the grounds where the museum rests, even the most rational of people would think twice about wandering the museum's halls in the dead of the night. Now, he started digging into Churchill Downs horror stories when the museum asked him to create a new tour for incoming freshmen at the University of Louisville. What better to catch the attention of freshmen than blood and gore? We do one ourselves for BCU. Yeah. So he dove into the Carrier Journal archives looking for deaths and murders tied to the track, and eventually he uncovered enough to actually write a book about it. They uh, expect uh, that it could be a trainer from a uh, – <clears throat> oh, typo on my part. Excuse me. Great. <laughs> yeah, that's that flat-out typo. Shame on me. Shame on both of us mm. we both write it. Edited it. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> uh, maintenance people at the museum will say that they've seen or heard people in the building well after the crowds and workers have left for the night. Right after the museum opened in 1985, a few spooky, unexplained things happened in the basement. On most nights in the early days of the museum's opening, someone or something will go into the gift shop storage area and throw jockey-related items to the floor. That stops once the executive director threatened to fire whoever was involved. But then the menace turned its attention to the technology room across the hall. One of the technicians was piecing together a film from a previous Kentucky Derby when the race footage faded out from the screen and all of a sudden the sound of a woman crying through the speakers came through. Considering the numerous jockeys that were carted off of the track into the hospital where they later died, could all of this activity be attributed to a dead jockey's significant other? One maybe who wailed at their loved one's abrupt passing? One who might feel inclined to lash out at the horse racing profession by scattering jockey-related items? Possible. Possible. The list of people who might feel wronged by Churchill Downs and the business that has taken place there is long. It's anyone's guess as to who many of these specters can be. We do know some of the jockeys who have met their end at Churchill Downs, though. One particularly grotesque example comes from 1906 when jockey Bert Miller was killed while riding Dresden on the track. The Courier-Journal predecessors didn't sugarcoat it when they outlined his fatal injuries in an article either. Quoted from the article, Hundreds of men and boys rushed to Miller, and he was carried to a stable in an unconscious condition. Dr. J.A.O. Brennan, a track physician, attended the jockey, and it was found that the boy's skull and head had been crushed. He had almost bit his tongue in half. One of the horse's hoofs had been implanted in his nose, and his face was a sickening sight. 
they didn't hold back anything in the newspapers back then. I'm surprised they didn't have a picture. That's enough to make anyone haunt a track, but let's not stop there. Another jockey, uh, jockey Frank uh, Porretto, was killed on the opening day of the autumn meet in 1921. It appeared that he was kicked by his own horse or perhaps one passing by as he struck the ground, where he sustained a fracture to the skull without regaining consciousness. According to an article uh, dated October 13, 1921, uh, this case was particularly sad as the jockey's parents had traveled from New Orleans to see him ride that day. One overriding theme in many of these tales is that the historical facts are often more blood-curdling than any spectral tale that might accompany them. Even if the jockeys do still haunt the track where they died, one would hope that their afterlife is more peaceful than their passing. But not every jockey that we're going to talk about was the victim of an accident. As a matter of fact, this next jockey wasn't a victim at all. William Smokey Saunders won the Triple Crown while riding Omaha in 1935. He was only the third jockey to hold the crown, but his name also appeared in the papers a lot in the later half of 1935 after he was charged as an accessory in the murder of Evelyn Lewinsky. The whole sword tale takes place out on River Road, just a few miles from Churchill Downs, and it involves a lot of drinking and an exercise rider running Slewinski's body over with Saunders' car twice, according to the Courier Journal archives. The clippings describe Saunders as the 24-year-old um, woman's companion the night of the accident, and a witness said after the car ran over the body, both men said, don't you think she deserved it? Mm, sounds like a piece of work. But Saunders got off as the whole trial was overshadowed by Saunders' celebrity. Clearly, this man that had just won the Triple Crown could not be so cruel and callous. But Evelyn Slewinski ended up in a grave back in Owensburg without any justice. It's a chilling tale that casts a dark pall over this chapter of dress history. I wonder if it's Evelyn throwing around the jockey stuff. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't surprise me. Yo, oh, her, yeah, yikes, ouch. Yep. Literally, ouch. You know, I'm not a scratching post. <laughs> <laughs> Moving back to the supernatural from the simply macabre, it's hard not to talk about ghosts and superstition without looking at the 1932 Kentucky Derby, which is known as the Unlucky Derby. 18-year-old Eugene James won aboard Burgo King, and it was the first time the 13th horse ever won the storied race. The glow of the derby quickly subsided as a string of terrible things happened to people associated with that particular Kentucky Derby. James drowned in Chicago about a year later, which some believe was actually a mob hit. Another jockey went delirious during a hospital stay and jumped out of a window to his death. Looking back further to one of the earliest years of Churchill Downs, we have the legend about Spokane, the horse who won the 1889 Kentucky Derby. That story starts 31 years before near the Spokane River, near the modern border between Washington and Idaho, when the U.S. Army, under the leadership of Colonel George Wright, gunned down a local Native American tribe. As if that wasn't enough, he gave the order that the survivors slaughter hundreds of their horses as further punishment. 
It said that the chief went into a trance and saw all of the spirits from the dead horses rise up and take the form of a superior horse whose name was Spokane. The chief wrote down a 31 came out of his vision, and then this horse won the derby 31 years later. But only after another horse that was on the track got uh, that was on track to win got spooked and ran off course. So, not exactly not a, not not a, a ghost horse, but, but kind of in the same vein. There you go. It's close. Not all of the action at Churchill Downs happens on the track. One story is that under the twin spires where visitors have reported seeing misty images at betting window 1109, in 1904, a young man walked up to that window and literally put his life on the line. He had gone to a pawn shop and took out his last $27 and put it all to win on a horse. Let's just say that horse didn't win. Bad idea. Gambling can be fun. It can if, be, but you have a limit. If done responsibly. If you got your last $27, don't bet it. No. $27 was a good chunk of change back in that was. was a lot of money. Mm. Uh, but that is our final tale for the year. Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Yes. Um, <laughs> pretty close for a ghost tour. So, okay, I'm glad you agree with us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but yeah, so that is it for tonight. Um, let's see, what do we got going on? Next week, uh, or not next week, two weeks, um, two weeks uh, from now, we've got Haunted Airplanes and Airports, which i got to say has been quite interesting. Yeah, th- there's been some... Uh, we, we were going to start out with just playing the Haunted Transportation, but I found a, a lot. A treasure trove. So we're breaking it down. <laughs> and we're not even going to get into UFOs, right? No, I I haven't even touched you about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's just airplanes and airports. (laughs) And ghosty stuff. And ghosty stuff. Yeah. So. Curses, all of it. Mm. But let's see. That'll be May. That'll be May. We're on the the home stretch. Yep. So we're, end of May, we're expanding our tour schedule. Yes. Next month, we're bringing back uh, Capitol Hill. I'll be giving the first Capitol Hill tour of the a week from this Thursday. Yep. Yep. So we're very excited for that. And if you want to come on out and join us, um, we're uh, Capitol Hill is going to be offered every Thursday of the month um, at a discount because yes. it's a, a kick off the rust. It's been over a year since we've given this tour. Yes, and a, 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 a reopening celebration, if you will, for Haunted Capitol Hill. So you can join us for just uh, twelve bucks. Um, twelve bucks a ticket for that tour um, all uh, May long, yep. every every Thursday every night. Uh, and, of course, we'll be running our Shadows of Shaco, Churchill Chillers, and Phantoms of Franklin in a rotation uh, on Fridays and Saturday nights. Yep. So um, keep them busy. coming up. Uh, well, let's talk about Scares That Care. Oh, yes. That's right. So Scares That Care is, is, uh, is going to come back this year. Yes. So, yay. We're very happy about that. If you've never heard of Scares That Care before, this is one of the uh, groups that Chris and I like to sponsor as part of Haunts of Richmond. Uh, they are a group that fights the real monsters of this world of breast cancer, of childhood cancer, and of burn victims. Yep. Uh, so they t- they adopt three families every single year, and they, this year they think they're trying to do a fourth again. Um, but it all depends on how much money we can raise. Yep. So that is going to be the last weekend of July rolling into August. I don't remember the exact day numbers, but July into August that weekend. 
and it takes place at the Double Tree. The, the Double Tree the, in Williamsburg. Double Tree down in Williamsburg. Yeah, and, uh, so it's like the 29th of July. I think it's the opening date. It's the day after my birthday. Yeah. So um, it's going to be going to be a lot a of fun. Weekend. Yep. So what we are, are planning on being there all weekend long as uh, as sponsors for the event. We are. We're sponsors for the whole weekend, uh, uh, but centered around the 5K race that they're going to have on Saturday morning. Yes. And they did confirm that they are going to have the 5K race. Okay. And I think they're also doing a virtual one as well. Yep. So if you can't make it down to run that way, you can run virtually. Yep. So it's uh, going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's going to be a little different than, uh, I mean, of course, they had to cancel last year's altogether, and it'll be a little different than a couple years ago, but things, uh, everything's still a lot of flux. Um, cause it all sure. depends on what's allowed in Virginia at that point in time. So they're being very fluid and being very open about what they're able to do. Yep, that is the group, Patrick, uh, Spirit that Care. So uh, they're a fantastic group, and uh, they, they got this charity weekend that um, they've been holding out in Williamsburg. And we should do a, a storytelling event and have people donate. That'd be we'll fun. Have, we'll have to talk to Joe about stuff like that. Yeah. Right before the, the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we didn't, weren't able to do it this past year, but... Um, we usually do a tour for them where uh, the, all the proceeds go directly to care. So we managed to raise, like, I think, like, three or $400 for them a couple of, on a couple of times, uh, uh, just on tours, and aside from um, our, our sponsorship of the charity weekend. Because so. we love to support them. Yep, and that's the 5K race sign-up right there. Yes. You probably can see you go going. <laughs> I need to. I need to. I need to get out and run. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. You might be walking. <laughs> uh, well, I'll be at the table under my tent because <laughs> um, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Uh, well, we can't make the other announcement yet. No, we can't. We're not quite yeah. ready for that yet. We're still waiting for logistics. So we'll get there. It's coming. We'll get there. It's coming. I promise. This next weekend, there's going to be some fun up at uh, Hanover Tavern. They're going to have an antique show. Yeah. So. And also, just check them out for ghost tours. They do one a month, uh, or you can do a private one with them. And they do fantastic tours up there and also investigations. Uh, our friends with um, Transcend? Uh, not Transcend. Uh, Spirit Guides. Oh, Spirit Guides. Just up at Hinsville House. That's right, yes. Uh, so we're waiting to see what they got there. Um, and they're going to be doing Bell, is it Bell Grove? I'm coming not up? sure. I think it is Bell Grove. But you can check out Spirit Guide Paranormal. They have a Facebook page. Yep, and they're partnering with Transcend for that one. So. Yep. Uh, but lots of cool, fun things are, are starting to open up and come out and do a lot of different things. Yep. So we are looking forward. The closer we can get back to normal, the better. Not kind of wood. And, yes, after the year, we have had... Could we all need you. normal. <laughs> don't need normal. Need some exercise. Yep. Uh, Got my 10,000 there. 2,500. You work from home stuff. So. Yeah. You need to go out for lunch and do a lot. I need to do something. Mm. All right. Um, so, yeah, we'll meet you guys next in two weeks for haunted airplanes and airports. And, and as always, if you ever want to drop us a line or something like that, feel free to do so. if you happen to know some fun stories that would fit in a good theme, let me know. Yeah. Yeah, we're always uh, always happy to. Uh, I'm looking for buses right now. Buses? I'm looking for some haunted buses. I got one. Hmm. So if anybody knows some haunted bus stories, let me know. Hmm. I got trains. We did got train. got trains. Trains? I got more trains. Trains and Tunnels was, like, what, our second show that we ever did? I got more. Oh, no, Yeah. So we can do but it. After. I want buses. We can do part two. Yeah. But I want buses. Buses. Okay. Yeah. 
I want some Harry Potter buses. Because <laughs> oh. damn, that thing can go through traffic. <laughs> oh. Yes. It's always fun. All right, so we're rambling. Are yes. we going to sign off? We are. I might have had a little bit to drink. Thanks again for the great service. I'm a little strong. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have more. All, All right. right. Cheers, y'all. We'll Cheers. see you in two weeks. Yep. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you.